Well, we are continuing our series that we've been in together for the last few weeks on this idea of forward motion, uh, this idea of growth uh, that God is calling us all, especially in a new year. It's just a great reminder that God is calling us to be different kinds of people in Jesus. Uh, When we become a Christian, it's not the end of the story, it's the beginning of one, a journey to be a more alive uh, person, a more generous person, a more thoughtful person, uh, a more sacrificial person, a less bitter person. Uh, person. And so we've been talking about this idea of taking steps towards being more and more uh, like Jesus. We asked this question last week, but I think it'd be good to ask again. How many of us do New Year's resolutions? Just sort of a reminder, take a quick, uh, yeah, a few, a few. Uh, apparently it's the same crowd as last week. Um, <laughs> how many of us make New Year's resolutions for other people? Anybody do that? Anybody? Got a long list for somebody else. Uh, whether you make resolutions or not, the, the way that we've been talking about this is that God loves you just the way that you are, uh, but he refuses to leave you that way. He wants to make you just like Jesus. He's inviting us all on a journey uh, to becoming different kinds of people. The first week uh, when we began this series, we talked about this idea that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but we're not supposed to stay there. And for many Christians, they they get dominated by fear and their entire faith is captured by fear, fear of reading the wrong translation of the Bible. We talked about that. You you got your NIVers and they're gonna, you know, they're reading the wrong one. You got your KJVers, you got your NASBers, you got your HGTVers, you got all your different, you know, groups of people reading their different sacred for some, and you, you ju- and that we are called beyond uh, those kind of uh, debates and those kind of finger-pointing conver- and fear-based, God's gonna strike you down if you do the wrong thing, and we're called to be more loving. Uh, we're called to be more sacrificial. Uh, we talked about moving uh, towards love and that we're called to this perfect love is what uh, John says in 1 John. Last week, we talked about the Israelites and that they uh, were in Egypt And it wasn't just a physical location they were in. They were in a spiritual condition. They were in misery. And that often our our New Year's resolutions, our attempts to be different people, they begin because we're in misery in some area of our life or in bondage in some area. We have some death-dealing pattern or habit uh, or addiction and that God calls us out of that in the same way he called the Egyptians out of that. But as the story unfolded, we looked at last week, it's a really famous story if you've been hanging around church for a while, they found themselves wandering the desert for a while and we said that God calls us out of misery and he calls us in the mystery. And that as we begin to change and become different kinds of people, we have to do some things that we've never done to get somewhere that we have never been. It requires uh, standing on unfamiliar terrain often and beginning to trust God that he's actually leading and carrying us somewhere. And uh, the way that we've talked about it every week is is that often uh, we look around and we kind of gauge our our spiritual progress on how everybody else is doing, our spiritual failure on how successful somebody else is. Has been, but we're not supposed to look around. We're supposed to look down at our own feet. And from right where you are on the journey, what's the next step that you need to take? For some of us, just to be in a church building today is a really, really big deal. And just to come back next week and ask more questions about life and Jesus and hope uh, is a really huge step for some of us. Uh, to take. And so I want to continue to explore uh, these questions together. If you have a Bible, let's open it to Exodus chapter 13, an NIV translation. Hopefully, if you are a good Christian, Exodus. <laughs> Just kidding. I know it's the wrong one. Okay, Exodus chapter 13. 
verse 17 is where uh, we are going to begin. Genesis, Exodus. We looked at this story last week that the Israelites found themselves in Egypt. They weren't the Israelites at this point. They're the people of God, and they are in Egypt. If you had a hard time parking this morning, it's because I stole all the cones. <laughs> they are in Egypt, and God calls them out of Egypt, and he calls them to Israel, the promised land, and that this was not a direct route that they took. They uh, wander. They, they, for 40 years, they, they wander in the desert, and God has called them out of misery, and he's called them to the promised land, the land of milk and honey. He's calling them out of one spiritual condition into a new one. And he's meeting them where they are and he's inviting them, but it's this 40-year journey. And so the beginning of the journey, uh, there's a lot of interesting things that happen along the way. We looked at some of this last week, but there's a verse at the beginning of their exodus towards the promised land that has always troubled me. Uh, let's read this together. A exodus chapter 13, verse 17. When Pharaoh, who was essentially the emperor uh, for Egypt, let the people go. God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. Apparently, uh, there was a more direct route that they could have taken to end up where God wanted them to be. There was a shorter route. There was an easier path to get there. Apparently, there was a different route, there was a better route they could have taken to end up where they wanted, where God wanted them to be, but they didn't go that way. How many of us, this is your new life verse. There was an easier way, but you just never, there was a different route. There was a better, more efficient, but you just never have taken it. Now, obviously, when you read the story, the reason they go, the direction they go is because there are Philistines and they're these mighty warriors and they're trying to, to avoid war. But if you read the sweep of the scriptures, apparently defeating the Philistines is not an issue for God. He could have taken them the direct route, but he doesn't. He takes them the long and bloody and windy and difficult 40-year path to get them where he wants them to be. For some of us, you have always, your whole life, taken the short uh, path, the, the, the direct route to get where God wants you to go. Let me explain it from a different angle. For some of us, your parents, when you were a kid, told you to go to church and you went to church. People told you before you get married, you shouldn't you know, have sex before marriage. You didn't do it because people told you not to. People told you don't get drunk. You didn't get drunk. You just did what you were supposed to do. And you have always taken the direct route to get where God wants you to go. You have always taken this path. And you don't regret it. I never meet anybody who looks back on their life journey and they've taken the direct route and go, I wish I would have slept with more people before I got married. <laughs> I've never heard that story. Been a pastor for a while. Never heard, I've never heard it. I wish I would have gotten drunk more in college, you know. I, you never hear, on the other side of the coin, I hear that story a lot. There was a long, windy, difficult path, and I always chose the hard and difficult way. I never went the short path. Uh, because for some of us, isn't it true? You have always taken the hard, difficult path uh, to get where God is trying to get you to go. You were like the Israelites time and time again. And it's almost a source of pride for many of us. Well, I always ask the tough questions. 
I always try things out. For some of us, you have burns on your hand from when you were a kid and your mom told you not to touch the stove, but you just had to learn the hard way. Time and time and time. And it's been a metaphor uh, for your life. Over and over again, you have taken the hard and difficult path. You are a lot like the Israelites. There was a shorter way, uh, but you have never taken that way. For many of us, this describes uh, a current tension that you might have in your marriage. (laughs) He always goes the direct route. I always have to find out the answers for myself. Uh, my, my son, my daughter, they, they go the difficult route right now. In the, and, and it's just been this tension over and over and over again. God meets us and guides us and leads us uh, in all kinds of different ways. Some of us in the building today are just always going to take the scenic route. And God is meeting you and he's guiding you to where he wants you to be. It's just a really difficult path to get you there. This often causes us to do what I would call testimony comparison. Where you sit in community groups, you sit in small groups, you sit in life groups, you sit in growth groups, and you begin to tell your story of journeying with Jesus or journeying towards Jesus. And you hear someone's story, well, their story is better than my story. Uh, how many of us have done this? You, I remember several years ago, I was working uh, in student ministry, and we had this former professional athlete come and speak to our students. And he was a Christian now, but he had all these unbelievable stories of drugs and sex and rock and roll. And you listen to these, and you're wondering, how is he still alive? And there was this girl that was there. She was 17. Uh, she had been coming to youth group ever since uh, the, you know, when the doors would open, she was there. She, her, I knew her parents. She was just faithful to come week in, week out. And she comes up to me when the presentation was over and she goes, I feel like I have a really lame testimony. I've always taken the short and direct route. For some of us, if you have always taken the short path, if you've always taken the direct route, celebrate the way that God has, has formed you. Celebrate the way that God has gotten you where He wants you to go. You have less scars. Celebrate it. Celebrate the way that God has uniquely guided and led you. On the other side of the coin, uh, some some of us, you have always gone the hard, difficult path, and you hear other Christians tell their story of of their first and only marriage, and and there's this part of you that wanders. I wish I could have just gone the easy route. Celebrate the way that God has worked and, and moved in your story. Isn't it true that the turns, the burns, the twists, the aches, God has somehow used it to tune out the things in life that don't matter and to tune you into the things that do? Celebrate the way that God has met you on your journey, uh, even if you were like the Israelites and you have taken the scenic route. This is the way that God is leading you where he wants you uh, to be. He meets us in all kinds of different ways. We are born at different places on the journey, aren't we? We're born at different spots along this continuum. Several years ago, I had a friend uh, in his 50s, and he said, uh, I still have friends in their 50s, but he said, I had a, uh, uh, I, he became a Christian later in life, and he uh, would often, when we would meet, he would say, it's so fr- Jared, you're a better Christian than me. You know all the answers. You, you know, he had been raised in a house where his parents were atheists, and he was brand new to all this stuff. He said, well, Jared, you're a better Christian than me. And finally, I was like, Tom, I'm not a better Christian than you. I was just born into all this. I was flannel graphing Noah when I was two. I didn't have a choice. 
some of you just been born into it. And if you're brand new to all this, whatever age or stage of life uh, you are at, and, and for many of us, you're at the beginning of this journey, don't compare uh, your beginning to somebody else's middle. Are you with me? Don't, don't compare your beginning, your entry steps to somebody else's middle. Let God be just as unique with you as he has been with them. On the other side of the coin, there are many of us that you are like me. You've grown up in church your whole life. Ever since you could remember, it was Christian, 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 Christian music, Christian school, Christian. And you, just, you just know all the lingo. You know where to park. You know where to sit. I mean, you just know uh, the deal. You know uh, how to play the game. And it's easy to equate having grown up in church and knowing all the answers with spiritual maturity. It's not. Just because you're born on third base does not mean that you hit a triple. Are you with me? (laughs) Just because you were born on third base, it doesn't mean that you hit a triple. There is a huge difference between growing up a Christian and growing as a Christian. There's a huge difference between those two. And we are called from wherever we are on the journey to begin to take the next steps towards being more and more like Jesus. From wherever you are on the journey of getting where God wants you to go, we are all called to take the next steps. And there's steps for all of us uh, to take. Several years ago, I was a a pastor, a teaching pastor after seminary at a church in Costa Mesa, California, just south of uh, Los Angeles in Orange County. And uh, it wasn't like it is in Texas or other parts of the country when you run out of space in a building, you just build a bigger building or build a new building on a new piece of land. Uh, We ran out of space in our building and there was a guy in our community who said, I have a a club in town, it's called the Shark Club, I'd driven by it before, and he said, if you want, you can use our club uh, as a church facility for you. It's closed on Sundays, you can use it. And he was serious. He said, why don't uh, you, you come in on Sunday when the club closes down Saturday and uh, begin to set up for church? So for, for several years, uh, twice a week or, or twice on Sunday, we would meet and have services in the middle of this club called the Shark Club. And it was a very interesting facility. Uh, I would preach from the middle of a dance floor uh, that had a crystal ball that hung uh, overhead. And the most interesting part was there was a massive shark tank with a live swimming shark that you would stare at the entire time the service is going on, right there in the middle of the room, this massive shark. You thought you were nervous about getting baptized at Lake Point. I mean, this was, (laughs) made things interesting. We made people really love Jesus. (laughs) And we would meet all kinds of interesting people at the shark club. A lot of times people would just kind of wake up. The club would close down at 5 a.m., you know, they wake up. (laughs) New party, woo! (laughs) Who are these people, you know? And there was one lady, I remember in particular, uh, she would come to the 11 o'clock service every week and on the surface, her life, she would just admit it, it's a train wreck. And she would say, I don't feel comfortable sitting close to all these Christians. If you knew the things I did, if you knew my story. On the surface, her life was a train wreck and every week I would find her and she, she would tell me her story and I would always remind, you are a better Christian than I am. You're a better Christian than any of us because she had these beautiful stories of recovering from addiction and healing and moving towards being more like Jesus. It's not about appearances. It's about from where you are. Are you taking the steps to be more and more like Christ? God meets the Israelites over and over again on this journey. 
he finds them wherever they are. He's with them along the way, but he finds them wherever they are. And through Moses, he uh, reminds them of certain things. And at one point, he meets them on this journey, very early in the journey. And he gives them a set of commands that we often in church uh, and in the scriptures, they're called the Ten Commandments, the very, very famous passages of scripture. And I often meet people that say, well, I'm not religious, I'm not a Christian, but I keep the Ten Commandments. That's what we do in our house. And I believe if everybody in the world just kept the Ten Commandments, uh, the world would be a better place. And that is certainly true. Uh, But at another level, the Ten Commandments, when you read them, are very elementary. So let's look at these commandments together. God meets the people of God on their journey. And uh, apparently they're having some issues. And he comes and he invites them uh, to do some new things. He says this, Exodus chapter 20, verse one. And God spoke all these words. Exodus chapter 20, verse one. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And so God meets them on the journey and he says, Right now, uh, you're worshiping things that don't exist. Let's not do that. Is there anything else we need to know right now, God? Nope, that's it. Just don't bow down to things that aren't real. Basic entry level. If you could just do that, we, we would be making some progress. Don't worship things that aren't there. And then he comes back. Let's just read through some of these commandments. He meets them. Uh, commandment number six He tells them this, in terms of other people, you shall not murder. Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, you shall not murder. So in terms of other people, and these 10 commandments, these are kind of like uh, when you go to the zoo and you see the sign that says, do not jump into the cave with the gorillas. And you think to yourself, I wonder who did that? (laughs) That sign's there because they were, someone actually did it. Uh, God's giving these commandments because these are actual problems they're having. And he's saying, I know it's hot. I know it's tiring. I know you're fighting over food at times. I know there's all kinds of stuff going on, but it doesn't matter how bad it gets. Do me a favor, Israel. Don't kill each other. This is the rule. Is there anything else we need to know? Nope. If you could just do this. Don't kill each other. We got it. And then he comes back to him and he says this in commandment number seven. He says, you shall not commit adultery. He says, okay, Israel, some of you have gotten pledged to be married to someone else in the camp. And here's the deal. If you got married to somebody, if you made a commitment to get married to them, don't sleep with somebody that's not your wife or your husband. No sneaking out of the tents, Israel. Everybody, if you're married to somebody, only sleep with that person. I know uh, there's all kinds of stuff going on, but but come on, let's just sleep with the person that we're married to. Is there anything else we need to know? If you can just do this, we'll revisit it later. (laughs) But for now, just sleep with the person uh, that you are actually committed to be married to. So in all these different areas, God meets them and invites them uh, to do something new, to to begin to live uh, in this new kind of way, this new kind of covenant with God. We said last week that Jesus comes and he's a new kind of Moses. 
He's inviting people, not out of a, a piece of geographical terrain to a new piece of geographical terrain. Uh, he's inviting them out of an old covenant into a new covenant. He's inviting them out of an old creation into a new creation because the old creation has a death problem. And Jesus is inviting people into a new creation, a new life in Jesus, a new way uh, and a new order of how the world is gonna work through Jesus. And he meets people along the way in Israel. And he says things like, you have heard it said, but I tell you. And he offers all kinds of interesting critiques and perspectives on the law. If you have a Bible, let's jump ahead to the New Testament, to the book of Matthew, the first book in the New Testament. And Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. So it used to be, let's not worship things that aren't there. He says now, in verse 37, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all of your mind. So the command used to be, don't worship things that don't exist. Now Jesus comes along and says, begin to worship the God that actually does. Begin to surrender your heart and your soul to the creator of all things, the God that has made you. Begin to live in harmony with this God. Begin to worship uh, this God. He meets them where they are and says, okay, we've done that for a while. We're not gonna worship things that don't exist. Let's begin to worship the God that actually does. He meets them in terms of their relationship with other people. And he says this in John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, skip ahead. Chapter 15, verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. So the command was, don't kill each other. And then he comes back, uh, Jesus comes and says, I think we can do better than that. What a beautiful standard of friendship that you would actually uh, just not kill them, but you would actually lay down your life for somebody because you cared that deeply. What a sacrificial picture. What a beautiful picture of what friendship should be. He meets them where they are and says, we can do better than that. Paul uh, gets in on the fun in the book of Ephesians. We've looked at this before. The command was, do not sleep with people uh, that you're not married to. And Paul comes along in the book of Ephesians chapter five, Verse 25, and he says this, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so the command was, don't sleep with people that you're not married to. Now the command is, Paul says, begin to love the person that actually is there. Begin to honor, respect, and give dignity to that person. In all these different areas, God meets them where they are and says, you, you can do better. You can do better than that. And if you get frustrated with yourself that you're not growing fast enough, uh, well, this took about 1,500 years to get here. Apparently, God is okay with you growing slowly as long as you're putting one foot in front of the other and beginning to move in the direction that he's inviting you to go. Sacred history, the Bible, is filled with story after story of God meeting people where they are and saying, you can do better than that. Let's take the next step. Let's grow. Let's become better people and more loving and more sacrificial kinds of people. This is what the people of God are like. The Bible's filled with story after story of God meeting people where they are 
and inviting them to take the next step on their journey. In our country, in America, we are often, uh, the, the worst thing that can happen is to fail at something, whether it's a business, whether it's a marriage. Uh, the thing that we live in fear of is that we would try something and it wouldn't work, we would fail. But in the Bible, failure isn't really a big deal at all. In fact, all the people that we talk about from the scriptures uh, fail, actually many of them miserably. Often they are on the scenic route to get where God wants them to go. God appears to be okay with failing at something. But in the Bible, what we should be terrified of is not failing at something, but staying the same. That what actually should terrify us and this goes against the grain of American culture, is not that you would fail at something, that you would try to do something new. What we should be terrified of is that at a particular stage of our life, in a particular area of our life, we would lock in and we wouldn't change at all. Because the Bible is inviting us to become different kinds of people. We shouldn't be afraid of failing. We should be afraid of waking up in 20 years or 30 years and being the exact same kind of individual and person. We are invited on this journey uh, to beginning to look more and more like Jesus. So the question is, uh, brass tacks, when you boil it down, how do you begin to do this? How do you begin to live this kind of a life? What's the next step in all these different areas of life? Uh, one of the questions that as a, as a pastor I get all the time from people that become a Christian is in terms of tithing, uh, is that for real? And I know everybody gets nervous uh, when the pastor starts talking about tithing. Uh, don't worry, we're not gonna bring a big thermometer on stage and you know, just kind of gauge. Uh, some of you get that joke. But uh, we, people often get nervous when we talk about this. Uh, and one of the questions that new Christians often ask is, is that for real? Does God really expect 10% of our income to support his church? Are we, are we 10% to the kingdom of God? Is that, does God really expect that? Is there a cheaper club I can join? And, and yes, the scriptures talk about this idea of tithing and investing our resources, our wages in the kingdom of God and the eternal work of his bride, uh, the church. The scriptures do talk about uh, this idea, but in the scriptures, it's about a deeper uh, idea. It's about this idea that Jesus talks about over and over again, that your money and your heart, uh, whether you're a Christian or not, they're just tied together. You can't separate the two. Where your money goes, your heart follows. And it's about Jesus saying, I don't want your heart and your money invested in something that is eventually going to get donated to goodwill. I don't want your money and your life and your heart as a disciple of Jesus wrapped up in something that's eventually going to get bulldozed or is going to be given away to the town dump. I want your heart and life and money and resources invested in something uh, that's eternal, that has eternal uh, value and significance. And so, yes, uh, when, when the scriptures talk about tithing, it's, it, it takes it serious, this idea of 10%. But for many uh, that become a Christian, they go, that seems like a massive leap. And you ask, okay, well, what's the current financial picture? Where are you at currently in terms of generosity? And often people, I will say, if I'm honest, it's, it's nothing. 100% of my income, actually about 120% of my income goes <laughs> to support me. And to get from there to there, it seems like a massive uh, leap. And the question is, well, what can you do? Where, where are you on this spectrum? Can you go from nothing to something? And oftentimes, uh, people that first become Christian, they go, well, I'm gonna go to something. 
And something is just a convenient gift, whatever uh, you deem uh, appropriate. It could be $2, it could be $20, whatever. When the offering plate comes by, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to begin to give, I'm going to begin to let go of selfishness and begin to invest in something other than myself. And it becomes this practice. And I've never met anybody uh, that takes this step and goes backwards. Because one of the things we begin to realize is that as we begin to invest in the kingdom of God and the bride of Christ, uh, that it actually feels better uh, than a new pair of shoes. It actually feels better uh, to see and hear stories of where your money has gone than just to see them uh, in something that you purchase. And you do this for a while. You, you begin to give something. And you begin to, to make that a regular practice and a regular habit. And then when you're ready, you go from something to significant. And you begin to give a significant gift. And it could be 3%. It could be just this regular practice, whatever it is that you decide. And so it's not this massive leap from here to there. You just begin to take steps. And for many, uh, they just begin to make this a practice. And they begin to realize more and more, my heart, my money, my life is being invested in the work of God. And then uh, from there, you begin to say, I think I can do better than this. And then you go to tithing. For many of us, uh, you've given 10% of your income uh, to the church ever since you were little. This has just been a practice and a habit uh, for life. Your parents taught you. But for many of us, it's a massive leap. You go, I can't do that. And 10%, uh, we do the work we do as a church because for many of you, you have uh, practiced this. You have made this a spiritual discipline and a rhythm of your life. And it's just a way of declaring that all I have comes from God and it belongs to God. And that's not just something I say in church. It's something that, that brass tacks when I boil it down in my checkbook. It's true and it's invested in the bride of Christ and my local community. And this is where it begins to affect purchases and lifestyle, which in America sounds crazy. And then I meet many of you uh, that you've done this for a while and you begin to go, wait, well, I think I could go to like 11%. I've done this for 20 years. And you begin to give sacrificially. You begin to hear about mission projects. You begin to hear about church plants. You begin to hear about water projects, whatever they are. And you begin to give sacrificially. I met a, uh, a man recently who said, uh, my wife and I, we, uh, he, he'd done really well in business. He said, we reverse tithe. We give 90% away because we've realized we're not just gonna accumulate more wealth and then just accumulate more possessions and play that American game. We are gonna cap our income and we are gonna give 90% away to invest in the work and the kingdom of God. We're not just gonna lock in here. We can do better, but you didn't start there. It was this journey. This applies uh, to all kinds of different areas of life. I often meet uh, with couples and one of the things that the wife usually uh, says is my husband, uh, man, he's a good guy, I love him, but he's not a spiritual leader in our house. He's a good guy, but man, he, he's, not, he's not really doing a good job as a spiritual leader. And oftentimes it's awkward because the husband's sitting right there. And you begin to ask questions and you're going, wait, whoa, whoa, uh, so, so tell me about your dating history. Was he a spiritual leader when you were dating? Well, was he leading hour-long Bible studies then? Well, no. And you start asking questions. It's like, well, wait a minute. You didn't marry Billy Graham. You married like Billy Bob Thornton. I don't know, but you like, <laughs> and he's a good time. He's a great guy, but, but you, did, you didn't start. 
And so you begin talking to the, the well, what do you do now? Nothing. Can you pray uh, with your kids? Can you pray with your wife? Just pick a night of the week just to say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say thanks for the meal. Yeah, I can do that. I'm gonna go from nothing to something. Can you go from, from there to begin to take steps? I meet many of you uh, that take your kids on mission trips, that are investing uh, not just as an individual, but investing as a family uh, in projects overseas and local communities in Texas and doing work together, spiritual work, but you didn't start there. It was a journey. It was a journey to begin to take steps. What's the next step in your life uh, that you need to take? One of the things uh, that's gonna be in the mail this week that I mentioned earlier is this commitment card. Next weekend is commitment weekend. This is gonna be in the mail uh, to you this week. And these are just our church's best way of creating vehicles of spiritual growth. And we just encourage you to fill this out and to look at this and say, these are some areas that I'm gonna commit to do better. These are some areas that I'm gonna commit to begin uh, to become more committed or recommitted to areas of growth in my life. And there's nothing sacred about this list. It's just a way of planting yourself in the kingdom of God and beginning to grow and look more and more like Jesus. I wanna be the kind of church, and I think you do too, where we celebrate the steps that people are taking on their journey. Where we're not pointing out the leaps that people aren't making, because for many of us, you grew up in a community where you always felt guilty that you couldn't make some massive leap in your life. I wanna be the kind of church that stops and celebrates the steps that we're taking. What's the step for you on your journey and on your road uh, where God is trying to get you to go? Let's pray together. God, I thank you uh, for the story of Israel. Their story is our story. God, I pray we be the kind of people that uh, celebrate the steps. For some of us, the step is just to show up next week and to continue to ask questions. That's a huge step for many of us. God, for some of us, uh, we have discounted ourselves from being valuable in the kingdom of God because of something we've done in our past. And God, I pray uh, for, for that person. Maybe remind them today, uh, it's not in spite of what they've done, maybe it's because of what they've done. You could actually begin to use them to heal other people. And you could use them and to begin to consider re-entering uh, work in the church or beginning to volunteer uh, is a huge step for them. Wherever we are on the journey, I pray, Spirit of God, would you lead us to take the next step to looking more uh, like your son, Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.